0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money & Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and this week Dan is off, although sadly not sunning himself on holiday. So I'm joined by Tom Selby from AJ Bell. Hello. Hello. And today we're talking about how so-called safe haven funds have performed, the sheer number of people taking mortgage holidays, the pitfalls those taking money from their pensions need to look out for. And we'll also speak to Andy Bell, Chief Executive of AJ Bell, about the COVID-19 campaign we talked about on the podcast last week.
1: So let's kick off with those so-called safe haven funds. So these are absolute return funds that aim to make money even during falling markets. Now, they've clearly been tested recently, Laura. We've seen quite terrifying-looking markets to a lot of people. So what do the figures that you've looked at show us?
0: Yeah, so I think it's an interesting area to look at at the moment because I think a lot of people will be either already in these funds or moving into these absolute return funds to use as a kind of balancer for their portfolio. So they might be worried about things like a recession coming or further market falls, and they might want um, allocation to a fund where – they think that they're not going to lose as much as the market or, or even going to generate a positive return. So I thought it would be useful to look back over the past 10 years and see how these funds have performed, because all too often we look at how they performed in the past month or the past couple of months. But actually, if you look back over that longer period, you can see um, what they did. So there's 38 funds in the sector mm-hmm. that have a track record going back 10 years, um, and only one has managed to beat the return of cash every year Um, for those 10 years,
1: Um,
0: which is quite obviously a very small number. So that's the Janice Henderson UK Absolute Return Fund. Um, Three funds of the 38 managed to do it in nine out of 10 years. So in nine out of 10 years, they delivered a positive return. But in one of those years of the past decade, they delivered a loss. And that was um, BlackRock European Absolute Alpha, Veritas Global Real Return and Premier Multi-Asset Absolute return, and you've got to think over that time um cash has been historically low, and the bank of mm. income base rate has been low, and so that means cash returns have been really low um and so the benchmark that they've got to be beat there is is
1: pretty pretty minuscule so what you, i mean would would you say have these funds been been failing to do what they they say they're going to do then because we've, you, you've, you've mentioned their um, negative investment returns at various points in time and failing to be um, cash at a time when cash has delivered really low returns now if the the aim of these funds is to deliver positive returns in any market conditions, which is, I think is what the the investment association definition says then by by definition are they uh, would you, are they, are they letting down in investors and theres a there, well I guess what what can what can people do to make sure that they if they're going to go down this route they pick an absolute return fund that's going to deliver what it says on the tin
0: so i think the thing that's really difficult with this sector and that actually constantly frustrates me when i look at it is that lots of while there's a sector of these similar funds and their broad aim is to generate a real return like you said um they all completely differ in terms of how they measure that and over what period and what they use as their benchmark. So one fund might say that it aims to deliver a return of a certain amount above cash over a three-year rolling period. So it wouldn't guarantee to do it every single calendar year, but over a three-year period, it would have generated a positive return, where others aim to do it every single calendar year um, and others have much more kind of um, kind of less explicit Um, Mm -hmm. returns and benchmarks. So that means that as an investor coming into this, you can't just look at the sector and think, okay, well, I'm just going to look at the performance of these and do all of your usual screening methods, because there's such a dispersion across the sector and also in how they work. So some Mm -hmm. will uh, aim to achieve those positive returns by investing in very safe assets. So things like cash and bonds, Mm -hmm. Um, At different points in the market where others will use much more hedge fund type strategies and will be shorting, uh, which is where you're kind of banking on on a stock falling in value and you make money out of that. Um and there's nothing wrong with those more complicated strategies. And in fact, the the one that the one fund that the Janice Henderson fund that's managed to deliver a positive return every 10 years does that. But it's more just that as an investor coming to this sector, it can be a bit bamboozling for them to try mm. and compare one fund to the other. Um so I think going back over this long period works, but also looking rather than just seeing what the fund has done over 10 years as a total thing look at what it's done each and every of those years so one example um that came out if you if you just looked at one year so the Argonaut absolute return fund Mm. so over the past year that's delivered a 40% return for investors so if you just looked over that past year you'd think okay Mm. well that's done really well in particularly if you look at the the first quarter of this year, which is included in those figures, that's a pretty tricky time period. So, that's done really well. So, that must know what it's doing and, and that must be able to deliver that positive return regularly. But actually, the previous year, it gave investors a loss of 15.5%. And mm. in 2016-17, it delivered an almost 20% loss to investors. So, yeah. If you're looking for that kind of stable return every single year, that's not going to be the fund for Mm -hmm. you because you've got to put up with 20% losses in some years to compensate for that 40% return in other years.
1: Yeah, so I guess uh, it's it's the the key here for for people then is understanding – as always, what's, what's under the bonnet of these types of funds then, isn't it? Because you can, you, you can have an entire sector called absolute return funds where the aim is to, uh, as I say, to deliver positive returns, but some will be doing that in entirely different ways to to others.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's a case of going through the fact sheet, going through looking at performance, looking at how that fund manager aims to generate those returns, the kind of things that they're going to be investing in, um, And I think what's also quite useful is probably to look at how these funds were positioned going into the current crisis. And you can see that from then you can get an idea of how the fund manager reacts to particularly tricky periods. Um, And so um, you can kind of get more of an idea, I guess, of, of a more comfort of what you're investing in, because it might be that you're okay having a fund that that um volleys around and loses lots one year and gains a lot another year i mean i would argue that you probably shouldn't be looking for an absolute return fund for that but you might be okay with that as long as you know that that's what's going to happen but if that happens when you think that you're just going to be in a kind of stable steady eddy fund that delivers you a bit of positive return every year then you're going to be quite surprised when you when you're handed with those losses
1: yeah and i I, I suspect that'll be one of the things that comes out of um this crisis will be the um issues around fund labeling um and the the aims of certain funds and what they've delivered during what has been clearly a a significant period of um of economic economic downturn and if i think if you look across the boards, there's both those funds that are labeled in different ways that, that that seem seem to be trying to achieve a similar objective but the people within those funds will have entirely different experiences and i think um I think what, what, it's hard really to know whether the extent to which it's down to um, to regulators to make sure that funds that sound the same are delivering similar things, and how much it's um, down to you as an individual. But I think in, in the absence of any any changes to make these things more similar, and you obviously want a choice of funds so you can um, achieve different outcomes based on your own risk preferences. It's, it's it's clearly really important that individuals understand what they're going into and what they're what they're invested in, be it, be it absolute return funds or funds that are supposed to be trending towards annuity purchase at at retirement and everything in between as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I I think that this um, this kind of you're right that this crisis has probably taught some investors that maybe they weren't quite so aware of of how their funds might perform in these in these crisis times. And it's maybe been a bit a little bit of a wake up call to, to double check that and more regular monitoring of funds to make sure that they're doing what they they said they would do. Tom, you've been looking at figures that show that the current time of year is when most people take money from their pensions. So just as the new tax year is starting. Mm. Um, firstly, why is that?
1: Um, so as you say, it's it's most likely. So we don't we don't know for for certain. We've we've not um, we're not asked people exactly why they take money out at different different periods of time, but um logically it makes sense that people would look to take advantage of a new set of tax allowances in um Uh, in April to take their money out in the most tax efficient way possible you'll have um, a mix of people doing that so some people taking a stream of income and I suspect one of the big reasons you have a a jump in in between April and July is because you'll have people taking single lump sum withdrawals from their fund as well to spend in whatever way they, um, they, they want to as the pension freedom's allow so that the numbers we so we we looked at the numbers across um the first five years of the pension freedoms up to the most recent data that we have and the the withdrawals in the first quarter of the financial year so april to july tend to be somewhere between 10 and 33% higher than the rest of the year now it's trended downwards a little bit so we're sitting, I think I think now we're into normal times it's somewhere between 10 and 15% Higher, so a, a significant difference, and it's clearly it's clearly peak pension freedoms season and the time when people demand taking money out of their pension the most. I suspect um, with COVID nineteen and some of the uncertainty that that's bringing, we'll we'll likely see more people looking to um, access their pensions from age fifty five, and we're talking about accessing taxable income from your pension here, so not ne- not just a tax free cash, but taxable income. Um, and when you, that's perfectly well and good, and for a lot of people it will be a useful way to plug a, a gap in their in in their spending that might be caused by the the current uncertainty. But there's there's various things that people need to think about. So some bear traps and some planning issues that 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 people need to need to consider when they're taking that decision. So. Um, the first one, the mo- I think probably the most obvious one, so when you take taxable income from your pension, it's something that we talked about before on the podcast. So if you do that, it triggers the money purchase annual allowance. So what that means is um, if you take just your tax-free cash, then you still, most people will be entitled to a £40,000 annual allowance. If you take just £1 of taxable income, then your annual allowance drops to £4,000. So a reduction of £36,000 in your annual allowance for Doing that, you'll also lose the ability to carry forward unused allowances up to, from up to the three previous tax years in the current tax year. So taken to its extreme, if someone carried forward three previous unused year, un- full annual allowances of £40,000 to the current, current tax year, it could be a reduction in your annual allowance for the current tax year from £160,000 to just £4,000. So a a significant impact on your ability to continue saving after you've taken money out of your pension and something that people who are looking to access their pension for the first time during this period when most people tend to access their pension um, need to Think about so there are things you can do to avoid the MPAA. So one thing you might want to look at is accessing other cash pots that you've got. So if you're lucky enough to have um, savings or an ISA, perhaps then um, clearly look to use that first. If you're still looking to save in a pension as well, um, also you can access your 25% tax-free cash without triggering the MPAA, as long as you don't touch the taxable portion of your. Pot. So there are ways to avoid making it happen, I suspect, for a lot of people, because times are quite tough at the moment. And um, they'll just need to access their pension to make ends meet. And this is just something that they're going to have to be aware of. Um,
0: and at the moment, do people, um, I mean, you talked a bit about, obviously, the environment and the reason why people um, might be accessing their pensions more. But but do people need to be aware of the fact that their pension pot may have Fallen in value quite a bit, and and taking money out at this point in time when markets have fallen um, could have a big impact on their pension long term. Now,
1: exactly, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's right. So one of the one of the big issues that we've been talking about for a long time is um is this phenomenon that's referred to in the industry as pound cost um, ravaging. So it's the idea that when you um, move into drawdown, so you're taking an income from uh, from your pension to support your lifestyle in in retirement if you look to take big withdrawals at the start so when your funds at it's at it's at it's larger so in the, fir- in the first few years of retirement and then you st- and then, and that's during a period when there's negative investment returns so markets fall quite rapidly then you'll struggle to make that Money back, and I think nobody knows when these um, market events are going to occur. We we we've been talking about it a lot simply because it had been a long time since the two thousand and seven eight financial crash, and it felt like we were due a negative economic downturn. But you know, nobody knows exactly how these things are going to happen, and certainly, very few people were talking about a um a global a global pandemic when discussing this this issue. But there will be lots of people who have been um, who will who will have already taken big withdrawals and seen the value of their fund drop significantly, or people who are now thinking about taking big withdrawals and um, and and now have to potentially reconsider because of what we've seen happen to the to the markets? I think the, the most important thing. In all this is um, is not to panic, as we always as, as we always say, and I know you and Dan always say on this podcast as well. Um, and don't stick your head in the sand. It can I think it be quite could be quite easy for somebody who has started taking big withdrawals just to plow on ahead regardless and hope that somehow markets will magically return their money to where it was and dividends will return immediately and they'll be able to. To continue withdrawing large amounts sustainably over their retirement, there's absolutely no guarantee that you'll be able to do that. And if people who are taking significant withdrawals at the moment um, need to review those withdrawals. So I think and when, I, when I say significant, um I would say anything over um 4% of the value of your of your pension pot might need to be reviewed at this moment in time. That's that's not a that's just a rule of thumb. That's not something that you can set in stone. But if you're taking Five, six, seven, eight percent of the value of your fund, or more, every year. Then um, you might might want to look at that and recons- and just think about whether that's going to be a withdrawal pattern that's going to last throughout the course of your retirement. For some people, it might be okay. For example, if you've got other kinds of savings, so if you've got guaranteed pensions like defined benefit, or if you're still working or if you've got underlying health factors that mean that money's not necessarily going to last as long as someone who's healthy, um, that might be OK. But if it's just the one pension pot that you've got and you're taking big withdrawals, then the chances are that because we've suffered these this very bad economic shock, the sustainability of those withdrawals is going to come under under serious strain and you'll need to rethink the way that you're, um, that you're doing that. And um, I guess...
0: But I guess for some people, they they'll need to take this money if, if they've mm-hmm. seen their income drop elsewhere and, and, and they won't have an option not to. So then is it about having kind of difficult conversations with yourself about cutting your outgoings and, and cutting back and, and um, reducing the amount of money that you are, you're actually spending, so you need to take less? That must be quite a difficult decision for someone to make though
1: very difficult yeah and it's um and it's a it's about keeping as, as cool ahead as you can in in what is quite a stressful time and um budgeting and prioritizing and understanding the implications of all the different financial decisions and spending decisions that you make at a time like this so for example um if you're over 55 your pension is there to be accessed um i would never sit here and tell people not to do that and um, i would not sit here and tell people that their 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 only priority should be um, ensuring their pension lasts sustainably over a over a long period of period of time. If you're somebody who is struggling to pay your mortgage, who's struggling to feed your family, then clearly that's going to be your first priority, and everything else. Will take a back seat for for that period of time, but the the key is to understand what you're doing, understand the consequences of what you're doing. So if you do need to access large chunks of your pension, if you do need to sell the capital at what is a low point in the market, then first of all, as you say, budget and look to look look, look at ways that you can reduce your day to day spending. Are there any any bills that you can cut? Any other any any uh, any other ways that you can reduce your Outgoings. Are there any reliefs that you can take um, advantage of during during the current um, the current crisis? And then once you've done that, are there any cash savers? You have got any other pots of money that you can access that won't have this um, deleterious impact that won't so significantly affect your 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 long term retirement um, by having to sell investments at what is a potential low? And then once you've exhausted all of those options, it's. Understanding the impact of what you're doing and the fact that you're going to be in potentially a difficult position in, in further down the line. Um, as I say, it's not to say people shouldn't do that, but it's just to understand the implications of the decisions that you're making during this period of time. And I think the the key, the, the key group of people really, I, I wouldn't be concerned about people who. I mean, I, I would be concerned about the welfare of people who are in that position. But if you're making those decisions for the right reasons, then it's then that's okay. That can be a perfectly logical decision. It's people who are bowling on, taking big withdrawals when actually there's a a more sensible way that they could organise their affairs, their affairs in order to um, in order to make sure their pension isn't at risk of running out in retirement.
0: And so then is there I guess just quickly, is there one other one other thing that people should look out for if they're taking their money out?
1: Um, so yeah, lots of things to think about. I would say the the key one and the one that I I get asked about the most is around the um, the tax position. So the initial tax position of your of your withdrawals. So if you're taking your first flexible withdrawal in the tax year, so your first thir- so your first um, taxable income withdrawal, then you're likely to be overtaxed by HMRC. Uh, Now, this is because uh, because HMRC apply what's called month one taxation to that first withdrawal. So rather than giving you the whole gamut of allowances that you would um, that you would expect, they divide the years tax allowances by 12 and then apply them to the withdrawal. So your £12,500 personal allowance is divided by 12 and applied to whatever your withdrawal may be. And then the next chunk of allowance divided by 12 and the next chunk and so on, and you'll be taxed accordingly. So that means that when you first take out withdrawal, you're almost certain to be overtaxed on it. If you're taking regular income payments, you shouldn't need to do anything because the tax system will sort that out over the course of the year. So the HMRC should make adjustment to your tax code. But as I, as I said at the start, lots of people who are taking withdrawals, particularly in this first quarter of the financial year, um, will, be, will, be, will be doing so just to take a lump sum. And if you're just taking a lump sum, then you won't be automatically given your money back by HMRC. So HMRC says that if you wait to the end of the tax year, then they'll put you back in the right position, usually by adjusting your tax code. Uh, but if you're if, if you don't want to wait that long or you don't want to rely on HMRC to sort out your tax affairs, then you need to fill out one of the one of the three forms that um, HMRC have in, have in place in order to claim that tax back. And once you cl- fill out that form, HMRC say you should get it back within 30 days. Um, so if, any- if anyone's in the position of having made that first withdrawal, they think they've been overtaxed, um, the website to go to is www.gov.uk forward slash claim hyphen tax hyphen refund. Um, if you can't remember that, because it's not the easiest website to remember, if you just search claim tax refund gov on the internet, then you should be able to find that page and go through the process of reclaiming the money that you're owed from HMRC.
0: And does it take a long time to claim that money back to
1: so they to should actually be- get it? There should be thirty days. Once you've filled out the form, it should be thirty days. If you don't fill out the form, then you're relying on the efficiency of HMRC to deliver your money back to you. And given, I mean, that's been that, that that's been a difficult enough process. Previously, if you now look at the stress that HMRC and all government departments are under, but I think particularly HMRC, given some of the, the various um, systems it's uh, been tasked with designing in, in response to the, the COVID-19 crisis, I, th- I think it's much better to take it in your own hands if you can and fill out, fill out one of the, one of the relevant forms. So there were also some new figures out this week on the people taking a break from their mortgage payments, weren't there, Laura? Um, Are lots of people taking advantage of this?
0: Yeah, so we briefly touched on this in a previous podcast about the kind Mm. of package of measures that's available to people and taking a mortgage holiday for three months. So not paying um, your usual mortgage payments for three months is something that the the government offered and and said that banks had to offer. But we've Mm. now had figures through that show from UK Finance, which is the trade group for banks and building societies. And it shows 1.2 million people have already taken advantage of the mortgage holiday. So that's a mm. massive boom. So um, it means that one in nine mortgage holders is now on a payment holiday, which when wow. you think about that across the country is a massive number of people. Um, but I think it's good that, that people have this option to take up if they've seen their mm. income fall, if you've um, been furloughed and seen your income fall or if you've lost your job. Um then this can be a good way because mortgage costs are obviously one of the biggest costs that that people face each month and so it can be a really good way of freeing up extra cash but I think there are some caveats to it. Firstly, it's only for three months. So mm. you need to prepare for what's going to happen after that. And and obviously, everything's moving so quickly at the moment. And we don't mm. really know where we're going to be in in two weeks time, let alone another two months time. Um, but people need to factor in. Now, the government might say that these mortgage holidays have to be extended, but you certainly can't rely on that. And And once this kind of mandatory three-month period is over that the government talked about, you would then need to speak to your lender and negotiate it and any further extension directly with them based on your own circumstances. So it's good to give you breathing space now, but you definitely do need to factor in what's going to happen if your circumstances haven't changed by the time that you need to start repaying that mortgage. Um, The other thing to flag is that it it costs you money. So people think, okay, well, I don't have to pay that mortgage for three months and that's great because that that cuts my outgoings. And that is true, but um, you will pay extra in two ways. So usually mortgage companies will keep the term of your mortgage the same. So say at the point that you took the mortgage holiday, you had 10 years remaining on your mortgage, you will still have 10 years remaining on your mortgage. Um, That that countdown will continue effectively. That three months that you took the holiday for doesn't get added on to the end. So that Mm. means that the payments that you missed out on making... The, the total of those then need to be spread off across the remaining term of your mortgage. So you'll see your monthly payments go up. For mm. most people, that won't be a dramatic increase, um, but it's not going to be kind of hundreds of pounds extra each month, but it's something that you've got to factor in because that will kick in once the mortgage holiday is over. Um, the other thing that you need to factor in is that you're still accruing interest during that period. So where normally you would have paid off some of the interest and some of the capital with those three monthly payments that you would have made, um, that interest is still accruing. And so that means overall you pay a bit more um, because the interest accrues during that time and you're paying that interest over a longer period. So um, I thought it might be useful to have an example. So on on a a £125,000 loan, where the interest rate is 3%, which is kind of just an average taken, um, the total extra interest would be £744. So that's mm-hmm. the total cost to you of taking that three-month mortgage holiday. Um, but your monthly payments would only increase by about £9 a month. if uh, And that's assuming that you've got like a 25-year term left. Now, the shorter your term left to the, to the time your mortgage ends – The more that your monthly payments are going to go up because you've got fewer monthly payments to make up Mm. that shortfall, if that makes sense. And also, the the more you borrow, the more it's going to cost you overall because that interest that you've accrued during that period um, is higher because you're you've got it on a larger amount of borrowing. So at that same three percent interest rate um, on four hundred thousand pounds of borrowing, it will cost you about £2,400 overall extra to take that mortgage holiday. Now, lots of people will think that is a price worth paying and because you're spreading that cost over the remaining term of your mortgage, particularly if you've got a long time um, left on your mortgage, they will think that that was worth it for the breathing space. I think that people just need to be aware, A, that it's not completely cost-free, and B, that it is going to have an impact on their mortgage payments um, in future.
1: Yeah. Yeah, see, 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 it's it's been kind of a kind of a theme of the things we've talked about today, hasn't it? The the need to go into whatever decision you're making during what is a very difficult, stressful time for a lot of people, both um, both as uh, just as people, but financially as well. But whether it's the the investments that you pick or whether the decisions that you're making um, about withdrawing money from your from your pension or whether the, the decision to take a holiday on your mortgage payment. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but the the key is to understand the, the implications of, of what you're what you're doing and have a and have a plan when all of this is over to get back to what is something close to hopefully normality.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really tricky because everything's moving so quickly, and and these things are being offered by the government or by banks or or, um, or markets are moving, for example, and and it's it's very easy to think, okay, that seems like a great opportunity. I'm going to strike now while I can because mm. my income's dropped or because my investments have dropped, or and make decisions on that. And I think. Um, it, it sounds a bit boring and it sounds a bit like what we always talk about, but I think it's just making sure that you fully research what you're doing before you take up, take up any opportunity, whether that's investing in something, whether that's taking a mortgage holiday, whether that's taking um, kind of relief on your loans from banks. I think it's... Um, it's just about kind of double checking that and looking. And there is a lot of information available online, mm. whether that's from the government or whether it's from kind of different publications, talking you through some of the costs and some of the implications of these decisions. So I guess it's just a case of not feeling like you have to rush into any of these decisions. Mm. And yeah. even if it's just giving yourself a few days to think about it and, and work out how it might work and, and what it might eventually cost you, um, I think that's definitely worth doing. But I do get that that is quite tricky at a time when you're probably panicking if your income has dropped and you're wondering how you're going to make these payments. And finally, we spoke last week about AJ Bell's new fund to raise money for COVID-19 causes. And we've got Andy Bell on now to talk about that, but also corporate responsibility in the current crisis and how the company has been adapting. So, Andy, thanks a lot for joining us. My pleasure. So, maybe if you could start by explaining how COVID-19 has affected AJ Bell and how the company's kind of changed and reacted.
2: Yeah, our first priority was like with most businesses to deal with the the health and safety of our staff and and their families and that that probably occupied the first week of the of the crisis in the in the lockdown Uh, so our focus was in the main creating an environment where social distancing it could be achieved and you know it 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 still staggers me now we went from um in the space of four days uh, we had 900 staff who were working in the office um to probably end the, the week with about 150 staff uh, working in the office uh, and by that point we did we'd achieve what we wanted to achieve uh and i'm very pleasingly not only were we you know achieving the social distancing requirements with with some room to spur but we'd, we'd managed to to carry on operating as, as business as usual so then it was it, it was more about managing the business then and we probably did go on on crisis mode for a couple of weeks uh with senior management we we Well, we typically listen to the the government press conference and then we'd all dial in on, on teams uh we have daily mi coming through uh and really managing what what did feel like a crisis but actually by the end of the fortnight we've now gone on to twice weekly calls uh and everything does feel as though um it's back to a new type of normal albeit a very different normal i think it is it is business as usual which is great and i think those those meetings then uh were informing the either communications to staff and to customers it was really unsettling for, for both groups of people. Uh, both wanted different reassurances and it was important during that time we didn't we didn't just look within the business, we were looking out with the business as well and making sure that we were providing the assurance that that both our, our staff and customers um, you both wanted and, and needed.
0: And so during that time have, have customers noticed any differences, have there been any changes or restrictions in the service of, of how the company's been operating during lockdown?
2: No, it was one of the things we did discuss, but we very quickly came to the conclusion that our, our target would be to continue operating as, as BAU. We maintained our, our phone lines and uh, right through the tax year end, uh, which is probably one of the busiest that I can remember. We were answering telephones um, in 90 percent in under 10 seconds. All our key SLAs were, were on green. And it was a real achievement by the staff to carry on through you know what was a, a very unusual a, a, the situation, um, you need to carry on you're delivering the service at the standard that the, our customers have come to expect. So that was you're really, you're really positive. And, and yeah, at the end of the day, I think our staff realised that you know at times like this, not only do our customers want to invest money, uh, but more importantly, uh, some of our customers rely... On, on the pension they take out, or on the on the savings they built up to actually manage them through a crisis like this, so it was important that us and you know, other businesses have done the same. Uh, you know, managed to keep operating as near to normal as possible.
0: And um, we talked a bit on the podcast last week about um, AJ Bell's wage war on COVID nineteen. So the kind of um charitable fund that's been set up by the company but, but, but before we get to talking about that you've um, as part of that you talked about the fact that the company won't be claiming any of the government support that's available um, even though maybe you could have done so and you've been quite vocal about businesses adopting a, a bit more of a socially responsible approach to that government help that's out there why is that?
2: Yeah, well, in in fairness, the government uh, they acted very quickly. The, the the schemes they designed, be it the job retention scheme or the VAT deferral scheme or or several others, uh, they were designed in haste. And you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out that there is scope for abuse, and they are, as the government admits, they are very much a a blunt instrument. And you know, we started looking at this and 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 thought, well, you know, every pound that's claimed on on these schemes is a pound that our children and grandchildren will have to pay back and when there's no rule book and there is no rule book at the moment you've got to fall back on the values or principles that the business has and very quickly uh we all looked at each other and decided that actually us us claiming on this scheme wouldn't be right. Well, actually, on any of the schemes, wouldn't be right. You know, we could have furloughed probably about thirty staff, the thirty people who didn't really have a role. For example, receptionists, where people aren't coming into the office anymore. Uh, so it wasn't difficult to to come up with that that small list. Uh, and I, again, we just took the view that those schemes weren't for people like us uh, or firms like us who. You know, whilst undoubtedly suffering, it you know, it was a you know, bump in the road rather than you know an existential crisis, which you know, which clearly is for some for some businesses. And we you know, we look at these schemes. Yeah, I think businesses need to look at these schemes through through a lens of need and not a, a lens of entitlement. Uh, and yeah, you know, we get to the end of the year, and certainly as a PLC, you know, I'll be I'll be writing the you know, the ASG section of our accounts, and you know we'll uh, we'll state how much good we've done in society over the last 12 months and I think I do think customers potential customers and indeed all stakeholders related to a firm will judge how firms have behaved uh, during this crisis and for those companies uh, who uh, either will carry on making significant profits or uh, want to carry on paying bonuses or or even dividends to shareholders I just don't think society will look at those businesses favorably uh, if, if they've also claimed on the on the government schemes and therefore you know these schemes are designed to support certain types of businesses and those businesses know who they are i think those of us on the edge really should step aside uh, and 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 you know, leave the money to be claimed by those who who most need it
0: and so um you also launched the wage war on COVID fund um and you've donated three months salary to that a- along with other people in the business but do you want to talk a bit more about the aims of that fund
2: yeah, it's not just me who's, who's donated uh into the fund as you say it's it's myself um uh other board members other senior managers and, and indeed you know many hundreds of our staff have also donated part of the salary uh throughout april may and june towards towards helping people i think we all recognized that we are in a fortune position our staff recognize that they get, yeah, they're getting paid in full throughout this crisis uh their jobs there's no reason why their jobs uh security should, should change uh, either during or after the crisis is over. Uh, so what we decided to do was the charity Age of L Trust, which is the umbrella for the fund, uh, allocated £50,000 of its existing reserves uh, and and you top that up with the with the salary donations. We hope to be able to raise, well certainly in excess of £200,000 over, over a fairly short period. The plan then is to use that in fairly short order to help Either charities that are supporting the COVID causes, or alternatively directly into into COVID causes. I think I think the key for us is that we will be you know, we will be trying to get the money out there into society as quickly as possible, rather than just sitting on it. And, and yeah, you know, we recognise that lots of business leaders have taken pay cuts to to support their own businesses, which is you know fantastic. Many people in community, working or not, uh, have donated to their own causes that are, are are very close to them for anyone who, who wants to do something but is unsure what to do and just really wants to make sure that every pound they give gets to a COVID-19 cause uh with no expenses deducted out of it then um they're more than welcome to to donate to our cause via the by the website by the ajbl website
0: so customers and and other people and the general public can also add to that that cause then.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know we take no no admin costs at all uh, out of the out of the fund, and our commitment is that we will get that money to um, to COVID causes uh, in in short order.
1: Excellent. Thanks a lot for joining us today, then. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot for listening this week. If there's anything you want us to cover, then email podcast at ajbell.co.uk. And remember, you can listen to us using Spotify, the iPhone podcast app or Podbean and just search for Money and Markets. Dan and Laura will be back next week and I'll hopefully speak to you again soon.
0: Thanks a lot. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not.